Um, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going. We're going to be talking about storms today, storms. Now, if you've lived in Texas for any amount of time, you've, you've experienced storms. You've experienced tornadoes, you've experienced hailstorms. If you lived on the coast, you've even experienced hurricanes. When we start talking about storms in life, one of the things we can do is we can kind of begin to parallel that over into trials. If you've lived any amount of time, then you know that trials and storms in life is just part of life. If that's a shock to you, my name's Heath, I'm your friend, I'm here to help you. It's just part of life. It's just storms are gonna happen. And so that's just part of what goes on in the world is that there's gonna be storms. Now, maybe you've had like uh, Chuck Swindoll in one of his books, he was talking about friends who sometimes friends help in storms and trials in life. And then sometimes friends actually hurt in times of trials. And he tells this story about four guys who go out on a rock climbing adventure. And as they're out rock climbing, they're letting one of the guys down. He's rappelling down and the rope slips and they lose Joe. And Joe goes 60 feet down onto another ledge. And all of a sudden the guys start yelling, Joe, Joe, are you okay? And just takes a little bit. And then finally he comes to and he says, I'm okay. I broke both my arms, I think. And they're like, okay, Joe, just stay right where you're at. Like he's going to go somewhere, right? So stay right where you're at. And they start, they get ropes and they start um, lowering the ropes and they get them down and say, hey, Joe, just hang on and we'll pull you up. So they, these three guys start working real hard and they're pulling and they're pulling and they're working through pulling him up. And then one of the guys had the bright idea and said, wait a minute, didn't Joe say he broke both his arms? The other guy said, yeah, he did. Hey, Joe, how are you hanging on? And he screeched back just very, you could barely hear him. He says, with my teeth. <laughs> Got to love friends like that. They don't really think about how to help you in the midst of a storm. You've ever had a friend like that? They want to help. They have good intentions, but they don't quite know how to help. Storms, it happens. Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, an incredible story. You know the story. Matter of fact, if you've been around church for any amount of time, this is one of the most famous passages. Even if you have not gone to church, there's a good chance that you've seen some kind of painting in which Jesus is standing on water and there's a storm coming. So one of the dangers of preaching a sermon like this is you almost get nervous. Everybody knows the story and you almost get nervous saying, this is such a powerful, great story. I hope I don't blow it. I hope I don't just mess it up. This is a great story. And so I tried to work through how to present this today. There were a lot of different options. And one of the options was, okay, let's just, let's do one of these challenging step out of the boat. Let's go conquer the world messages. That's a great message. And that would have been a lot of fun. But I found it very intriguing how that when you lay out the messages and I lay out my messages an entire year in advance. So I know where we're going. I know what's happening. I know what's going to be going through. It allows me to have time to study. It allows me to have time to dwell on it. It allows me to have time to meditate and make sure the truths of God's word are working in my life deeply. Over the last few months, I would have never guessed what would have been happening and how that God would have been pouring into my life part of the lessons that he wanted to teach in the midst of storms. And as a church, we've dealt with some things here and we've had to kind of walk through some storms Personally, there's some storm and you're kind of working through it and you're going, okay, so here's what I need to do. I felt instead of giving this emotionally motivational speech that maybe can help you kind of bounce through a storm, I felt like God wanted me to lay out some truth, several truths, so that maybe 
If you're not in a storm, maybe you can be adequately prepared to enter the storm. Maybe if you are in a storm, and there can be so many different variables to storms. Whether you're young or old, you're not excluded from storms. So normally I don't give a lot of points. And even today, if you open your, your notes today, uh, in there, there's, I think, four or five already listed. And I, I kept trying to whittle them down and get more and more out so I could only have just one point because I really, I, it bothers me when people say, I can't remember anything the preacher preached. What? It's almost devastating, right? And so I'm saying, okay, I want to make sure they remember something. So trying to slim it down to one or two points that you could remember. And then the quest God kept coming back and saying, Heath, you need to make sure you lay some things out. So I have even two more points to add to those that are already in there. One of the things I want to do is I want to really help you today. I want you to understand and I want you to be able to walk away saying, okay, what I'm dealing with now or what I've just came through, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Because storms are a reality in life. And so hopefully today, although it's a easy passage, Although it's a passage that we're very familiar with, there are some deep things that I think we need to see and hear, and hopefully God will begin to work in your life and in mine to demonstrate some things here for us. Matthew chapter 14. You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 14. If you do not have your Bibles, we're going to be putting it up on the screen for you so you can follow along up there. Here's what the Bible says. Verse 22. Immediately, he had made the disciples get into the boat. That's Jesus. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hands and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. What a blessing. What an encouragement together with other believers. To look across the aisle, to sit next to someone, to, to see that there's other believers in this place, that God, in this area, that you're calling out and you're working and you're doing something great in their life. Thank you for songs that usher us into your courts. I pray that as we sing that God, it was a truly, truly sweet sound to you because it wasn't just words that we were saying, but it was coming from a heart full of honor and adoration and praise and worship to you. Heavenly Father, I'm asking now, 
that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in this room. God, there are many people in this room right now who are dealing with a major storm in their life. They're dealing with trials. Their faith has been weakened. Their faith has been stretched. God, they're maybe even quietly suffering. They haven't even really told anyone. So God, I'm praying that even though they have not told anyone else, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be so rich and full in this room this morning that you penetrate deep into their souls and where they have need. And I pray that you would minister there. God, I pray for those who maybe are not in a storm. I pray that you would reach down and you would strengthen them and encourage them so that, Father, the next storm we come into, we are able to bring you honor and glory through it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So your first point is this. The necessity of prayer before, during, and after storms. Look how Jesus starts off. He says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and then after he dismissed the crowds, Jesus does what? Goes to the mountain by himself and prays. The first point is this. We need to understand and see the necessity of prayer before the storm, after the storm, and then during the storm. Many times we get really good at prayer during the storm. Kind of like Peter, in the midst of the storm, we're out in the middle. We know that we can't survive unless we cry out. We start sinking and everything comes in around us and the trials are too heavy and we begin to call out, Lord, I can't do anything else, save me. We get really good at that prayer, don't we? Then there's also the prayer that sometimes happens at the end in verse 33 where we came through the trial and it's kind of over and we say, God, I'm glad that's over. Thank you. And we celebrate what he's done. But quite often, here's what happens in the in-between times when there's not really a storm going on, we forget to pray. We forget to pray before we enter the storm. Jesus sends the disciples away. It's been a busy moment. He's been extremely busy. He's been healing people, teaching. Matter of fact, he's fed the 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, whatever number really it was. And Jesus takes the time and he says, I need to stop and I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to be alone. I need to go to the mountainside to be alone with my father. Now, let me ask you something. If Jesus felt that it was important to pray before entering a storm, Don't you think it should be important for us to pray? But quite often, here's what we say. Hey, wait, you don't understand my schedule. I'm really busy. I hear you. Uh, You don't understand. I have all these pressures on my life. I hear you. Well, you just don't understand. I can't get one quiet moment because either my roommates are talking too much. My kids are screaming all night. I can't get the moment. I hear you. Bill Hybels wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. Billy Graham, he's about to have a new, another birthday and he's coming out with a new book. He's an evangelist that God has used to not only here in the United States, but around the world. And somebody asked him once, how much time do you spend in prayer and Bible study? I mean, this is Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham, the guy that God has used to speak to hundreds and thousands and millions and maybe even billions, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. You know what he says? He said this. He said, I look for, even in the busiest of my schedules, 
He said, I committed at least 20 minutes today, a day with God. 20 minutes, I'm thinking two hours, right? Thinking three hours. And you know what he's, and they, they, they kind of, they're puzzled by it and they ask him, only 20 minutes? You're Billy Graham, why, why wouldn't you spend more? He said, here's why. He said, I knew I could always get 20 minutes. No matter how tired I am, no matter how busy my schedule, I could always get 20 minutes. And more than most of the time, it went way longer. But I could get 20 minutes. I know you're busy. I know you're busy. And I know there's all kinds of things going on in your life. When you fail to pray before the storm, you will find that in the storm, your faith is weak. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? Do you remember? He was in the garden of Gethsemane. And what is he doing? He's praying. He's praying for strength. He comes to Peter. Listen to this. He comes to Peter three times. He says, Peter, why are you asleep? Pray with me. Pray with me. He just finished just a a matter of a few minutes before in the upper room saying, Peter, Satan has come and he's already asked for permission to bring you down. You need to pray. He encourages Peter, pray. The storm is coming. You need to pray. And what does Peter do? <laughs> he does quite what quite most of us do. You know, there's not really a storm, man. It's a beautiful night. I'm in a garden. This rock is comfortable. I'm just going to sleep. Right? I'm just going to take a little nap. I'm tired. So we don't feel the pressure. We don't feel the necessity to pray. But here's what I want to make sure you understand. There's a necessity to pray before, during, and after the storm. Jesus continues. And here's what we find after he dismisses the crowds. Jesus goes up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So it's somewhere around, it's this, is, this is the second evening. So you're in the six, seven, eight o'clock time. The disciples have already been away for a little while. And then it says, verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land. It says, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Let me share something with you. Ready? Here's our second point. Jesus sees, Jesus sees the struggles that you are having in the midst of your storm. He sees it, he knows it, and he knows what you're going through. Now, here's where it gets very intriguing because Jesus is the one who left and he said, I'm going to the mountainside. I'm praying. You guys go out into the the sea. Jesus is the one who sent them to the storm. Did you catch that? Jesus knew what they were going into and he still sent them. Matter of fact, if you look at the gospel of Mark, when Mark retells the story, here's what's intriguing. It says that Jesus is on the mountainside, ready? He's on the mountainside and he overlooks and he can see the boat in the midst of the sea. Jesus knew what they were going into and he still sends them. Jesus watches them and he's even on the side of the mountainside watching and still praying in the midst of the storm. So some of you analytical people are going, okay, time out. If it's already six, seven, eight o'clock at night, it's already dark. They're out in the middle of the sea. Matter of fact, Mark tells us that they're now some four to five miles out into the sea. So they're not, it's not a short distance, four to five miles out in the middle of the sea. There's no way that you could just accidentally flip the boat and just swim to shore. You can't get to the shore. It's too far away. You're in the middle of the sea. It's four to five miles out. 
Heath, if it's dark, how can Jesus see? Well, we can do some simple illustrations. Well, you could probably see because there's lightning. If it's a storm, it's a good storm. There's lightning, right? But then there's also something that's very intriguing. Jesus knew that they were going into the sea. Jesus knew that they were going into the storm. And there's this passage in Psalms. You remember David writing this in Psalm 139? It's a brilliant passage. He talks about how that you cannot escape God. No matter how bad you would want to, you can't ever escape God. If you got in in, in some machine that you were able to, to, to travel at the speed of light, and when the sun rays came up in the morning and they began to burst across the, the horizon and all the lights are shining and you jumped on one of those rays and you traveled as far as the light could go, as fast as it could go, you can't escape God's presence. And then, and then David says, you could go to the deepest depths, you could go to the highest heights and you still can't get away from God. Psalm 139, then he says this. You could go to the pitch black darkness and you think you're away where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And yet, the darkness is as light to God. It's as bright as noonday. He can see anything and everything. And Jesus is on the side of the mountain and he's praying. He knows where they're at. He knows what's going on. He sees the storm and he knows everything that's going on. And what is he doing? He's praying. Let me ask you, there are some right now in this, and you're in a storm and you're, you're, everything's just falling apart on you. And you're, you're just crying out saying, God, why are you putting me in this position? Why are you letting this happen to me? He knows what you're going through. And let me just share with you what Jesus is doing now. You ready? I want to encourage you. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you. He's praying for you. He's praying that you would succeed. He's praying that you would go through this. He's praying that your trust and your faith in him would survive the storm that you're currently in. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? So Jesus sees what you're going through. Now let's look as we continue. Here's what else it says. Oh, this gets exciting. So by this time, they've been a long way away, four to five miles out in the midst They're beaten by the waves. That word beaten actually is a word for tortured. They've been tortured now in the midst of the sea. So here's my point that I want to share with you. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know what your faith can endure until you've been tested by the storm. You don't know what your faith can endure until you've been tested by the storm. They've been beaten now. Now, let me just help make sure you understand in just a moment, we're going to see that Jesus comes walking in the fourth watch. That would be somewhere around four, five, six o'clock in the morning. The disciples have been out in the sea battling and being tortured and been beaten by the waves for some eight to nine hours. Why didn't Jesus stop the storm? Why didn't Jesus stop the storm? He saw it. He knew it was coming. He had the power to stop it because we're going to see that in just a minute. But why didn't he stop the storm? Why didn't he just show up before then and say, it's okay, guys, I got it. He lets the storm go for eight to nine hours. Have you ever been in one of those storms and the waves just keep coming and they just keep coming? I mean, the first wave, you handled it okay. The second wave, okay. But after a week, you get a little tired. After two weeks, you're exhausted. After 
six months, it's time to call it quits. After a year to two years and you're going, God, show up. Where are you? Why haven't you worked in my life? This storm is too much and the waves keep coming and by now you're getting tired. And by now you're frustrated. But you never know what your faith can endure until you've actually been tested by the storm. Part of what God wants to do in the storm is he actually, you ready for this? He actually wants to grow your faith. Let me give you an illustration. Each storm that I go through if I actually surrender to it and surrender to what God is wanting to do, it grows my faith so that when I look back on the old storm, I'm saying, shoot, that was nothing. Illustration. I was in ninth grade. Ninth grade, I was uh, up in Dumas. Um, that's where I was born and raised, Dumas, north of Amarillo. And I, was a, I played basketball. I loved basketball. It was a lot of fun. And so my ninth grade year, I thought I deserved more playing time on the varsity because, hey, I was just that good, Right? Don't laugh, but that's how I felt. I mean, I'm in ninth grade. I mean, I, you got all the pride and ego of every, you know, ninth grade. You got it. You're, whew. So I wasn't getting the playing time. Man, it started talking about devastating and hitting me and working my life. And I was just like, are you kidding me? I remember coming home one night after a game and I, I got very little playing time. And I was just mad. Man, I was mad as a hornet. I was just mad at God saying, God, where are you? I'm doing everything right. I'm trying to serve you. Why aren't you, why aren't you letting me get playing time? I can flat out rock it. At least that's how I thought. And I came home after the game and I went to, told my parents, hey, mom, dad, I'm here. I'm just gonna go out and shoot some baskets for a while. So it was around 2.30 when my dad comes out in the morning. He comes out and we start talking. He shoots some baskets with me for a while and, and we just talk. He just kind of lets me vent. And after venting, then we, he gives me a verse and he lets me keep shooting and he goes in. I still had to go to school the next day. I thought I was going to get out of that one. But I still have to go to school, and I go to school, and we work through it. And now, now let me be real honest. At this stage in my life, I would give anything for a storm like that. I would give, I mean, because that was really no big deal. But in my world at that time, it was devastating. But learning and growing through the storm has it built the endurance? So the last storm has prepared me for the next storm. And where I sit today, although the storms begin to brew and they get hard, and you're going, doggone it, God. I don't know if I can handle much more. You step back and you go, thank God he prepared me last year. Thank God he worked on me last year, two years ago, four years ago. And he's been building my endurance so that I can actually endure the storm that I'm currently in. Not a praise. Now let me show you something else. So they're out in the middle of the storm, beaten by the waves. Verse 24 says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When he walks on the sea, the Bible tells us in verse 26, it says, but the, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, rightly so. It's a ghost. They've been out on the sea for eight to nine hours. Maybe they're thinking they're just delirious. They see a ghost and it says, and they cry out in what? Do you see the word? Do you see it? Fear. Here's the point I want to add in. God's antidote, God's antidote to fear is his presence. He comes walking and they're crippled with fear. They're crippled with fear. And let's be real honest. When the storm is really raging in your life and you see the finances going down, you see the retirement leaving, you see your health crumble, 
you see your friends betray you, when those that you thought were supposed to be loyal to you are no longer loyal and you find out really they're the enemy, when everything begins to crowd around you and you begin to begin to be crippled by fear, saying, I don't know if I can make a decision again. I don't know if I can love again. I don't know if I can trust people again. And fear begins to crowd in and you will get to a point in the storm that fear begins to crowd in. Then let me share. Here's what it says, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is what? It is I. Do not be afraid. The antidote to fear, and you begin to see fear crippling you and coming up and rising in your life. What you begin to realize is this. What you need to see is when fear has entered, God has exited. You are no longer seeing God in the midst of the storm. And what Jesus speaks out in a clear way, he says, it is I. It's not just it is I. You ready? He says, I am. I am is in the middle of this storm with you. I am the great Yahweh, the master of the universe, the creator of the world, the creator of the sea. I am is here. It's not a ghost. It's me. I am God's present in the middle. And when you begin to see God's presence in the storm, your fear leaves. And what some of us need to do is just stop and say, God, the storm is big. The storm is raging. I can't see you. All I see is fear and I see problems. I see the next wave coming. Ask for God to show up. When I go and visit people who are struggling and they've lost a great, whatever whatever it is, part of my prayer is always this. God, I pray that you would wrap your loving arms around them and that they would feel your presence. Why? Because what they need in the storm is they need to understand that God has not left them, but God is right there in the midst of the storm with them. Okay, keep walking with me, if you will. So Jesus comes walking. He says, I am. And so Peter does what we love about Peter. He says, all right, God. All right, Jesus. If it's really you, let me step out of the boat. I love this. Let me jump out. Now, we, we like to, some people like to make fun of Peter and say, man, he's, he's just an idiot. Some people like to, you know, put him down and say, what kind of stupidity is this? For others, they, they look at him and they, they kind of try. I'm just amazed at who he is right now. He's in the midst of a storm. And he says, I hear you, Jesus. I recognize your voice. And so I want to be with you. You see, he had, he had the full understanding of what it means to be a disciple of a rabbi. If you were following a rabbi... You were expected to learn and do anything that the rabbi did. So if the rabbi walked across the the yard and he kicks a can, then all the disciples were to do what? Walk across the yard and kick the can or kick the dog or whatever you're supposed to kick. That was part of their their training. If If the rabbi did it, I want to do everything the rabbi does, and so I'm going to try it. And so what I love about Peter is in this moment, he says, okay, Jesus, if that's really you, I want to be near you. And if you're doing it, I'm game. Let's try it. And Jesus steps out and he says, okay. And Jesus says what to him? Come on. I love the invitation here because the invitation is open-ended. He didn't say only Peter can come. He actually makes the invitation to all the disciples in the boat. He says, come on. Now here, let me give you another inserted point that I, I just couldn't get away from. When you're in the middle of the storm, there's going to be an opportunity for you to take a faith step. 
It's going to be right there in the middle of the storm. The storm is not going to be calm. But there'll be an opportunity for you to take a faith step. And it's going to be doomed to fail. It will fail unless you keep your eyes on who? Jesus. Peter takes a faith step. And it's doomed to fail. He's never walked on water before. He doesn't know how to do this. He's been around the sea, but he's never done this. And it's doomed to fail unless he keeps his eyes on Jesus. Now, listen, here's what I began to realize and begin to see consistently in the storms in my personal life and in the storms of others. Part of what happens in the storm is God has done an amazing work of removing everything that you've been dependent on. We could use another word. Remember the idol series that we did? God has begun to remove the idols and show you how your idols will fail you over and over again. So in the storm, what makes it harder, what makes it worse, what drives the storm to be even more crippling is that God has removed your dependence on everything else. And as God removes those dependence, he's gonna ask for a faith step. And you're gonna go, there's no way, God, I could get out of this boat. There's no way that I can actually take that step. That door, that opportunity looks too crazy. It looks too beyond. There's no way I can take that. So the safety of the boat looks better. Peter has been on the sea before. He's been in storms before. He's weathered the storms before. It's comfortable to stay in the boat. Even though the storm's raging, there's more security there But Jesus says, come on, I want you to take a faith step away from, away from what you're comfortable with, away from the things that you're dependent on. And I want you to take a step and you're going to be completely at the end of yourself. Wow, what is God wanting you to step out on? He might be calling you to actually take a step that you never thought you could possibly take. And now here it is. He says, okay, Peter, do it. So Peter takes a step, he begins to walk, and here's your third point. God's power is understood when your power is insufficient. Look down, if you would. As he begins to walk, on verse 26, he begins to walk, so Peter gets out on the water. He's walking towards Jesus, verse 30. He says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Immediately he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? God's power is understood when you are at the end of yourself. One of the things that God does in a storm is this. If he comes in too quickly, you think you've managed it, you think your power has gotten you through. But when you're in the storm and it's gone for eight hours, nine hours, it's gone longer than you could ever think possible. It should have already stopped. You're exhausted. You've tried everything else. In the midst of the storm, when it takes you even to the place where you take that faith step and you step out of the boat, and then you look around and you see all the waves crashing, it gets you to the end of you being dependent on yourself. And one of the things that God wants to do in your storm is he wants to remove everything else that you've been depending on so that you can begin to see how powerful he is. They will not understand God's power until they get to the end. Peter knew he couldn't walk on the water. Peter knew that he could just weather the storm. 
So for him, the faith step took him to the end of his faith, to the end of what he could endure. There was no way he could do it on his own. And so at the point where he says, okay, God, I can't do this. He gets out there and he starts looking around. He sinks and immediately he says, okay, I really do need you. I can't do this on my own. The storm took him far. Now look at verse 33, you ready? Here's why I get very excited because in verse 33, something very unique happens. And those in the boat worshiped him. You see that? Saying, truly, you are the son of God. God uses storms in my life and in your life to actually teach you something you didn't already know. Now watch. The disciples, the disciples have traveled with Jesus for at least a year and a half to two years. Follow this. Year and a half to two years. They've heard Jesus teach, They've heard Jesus speak in incredible ways. Crowds be captivated by his speaking. They've seen Jesus heal. But they have never got to this point where they fully worshiped like they have now. Matter of fact, they've even heard God open the heavens. You remember when Jesus was baptized? God himself proclaimed, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased They've walked into towns. And when they walked into towns, demons have come running into the very presence of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, son of God, are you here to punish us before it's our time? They've heard demons proclaim that Jesus is the son of God. And for two years, they have been around Jesus, but never have they gotten to this point of actually seeing Jesus as a son of God. But after seeing the storm, Wait, 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 let me rephrase. Matthew chapter eight tells us they've already been in a storm. Jesus was actually sleeping in the boat and Jesus woke up and he calmed the storm. They've already seen that before. They get to this point where they see Jesus walking on the water, coming in to the boat and it's calm. See, in chapter eight, when Jesus calmed the storm, the Bible says the disciples marveled in awe. Wow, that's a pretty amazing guy. What kind of man is this guy that he can calm and command the seas and they obey? They're amazed by Jesus, but they haven't fully learned that he is the son of God and they haven't embraced it. Let me help you. You ready? Your storms, your storms, first and foremost, are not so that you can teach other people. That drives me crazy when people say that. Do you know why? Because God is not just trying to put you through something bad so that you can teach other people. That's, that's a secondary, third, fourth, fifth. That's a, 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 a later reason. The number one reason that when you go through a storm, what God is wanting to do in your life is to bring you to a truth that you haven't fully embraced about who God is. That you maybe have proclaimed, maybe you have taught, maybe you have even learned from Sunday school but you have never fully taken that and moved it deep into the recesses of your soul where you actually proclaim, you are God. And I'm amazed at your faithfulness. I'm amazed at how you worked in my life. God, and what it does is it radically changes your worship. So when you hear a song such as the old hymn, great is thy faithfulness, 
because you've gone through such a storm and you've worshiped like never before. You hear that song, tears begin to just well up and your soul begins to become so full and you're going, God, I've been there. When I didn't think you were faithful, you showed up and you were faithful. To when you hear a song that says, bless the Lord, all my soul. You're going, God, that's amazing that I get to sing that because you have shown up and I can worship at a new level. And what God wants to do in the storm, guys, here, listen. He wants, he wants to demonstrate himself in such a deeper, newer way than you've ever experienced. And he wants to improve your worship. That's the first priority. That you see God like you've never seen him before. And then you worship. See, for me, here's, here's, here's what I've wanted. Since I was a teenager, I prayed and I've asked God, God, make me a, ma- a godly man. I want to be a godly man. I want to be authentic. I want to be real. And God, I want, to, I want to be able to bring your word and I want to teach your word. But I wanted to do it without pain, without trials. Isn't that fair? Isn't that the way you pray? I mean, you get into your 20s, you're like, God, I don't want this. Man, the pain, are you serious? And we almost want to check out. And what we typically do is as pain begins to creep into our life and the storm comes, we look for ways of escape, don't we? It can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be physical pleasure. We just, hey, I just got to change jobs. I just got to move. I just got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. I got to escape this place. And the waves keep coming. And you're going, God, I'm tired of learning. I'm tired of actually going through the pain. I'm tired of the storm. God, I'm tired of the loss. I'm tired of getting beat down here. I'm tired of getting beat down here. God, I'm tired. I can't believe you would allow us to lose a child in between our oldest and our second daughter. God, why would you allow this to happen? Are you serious? I'm tired of the storms. I don't want it anymore in my life. And he gets you to a point where you finally just break and you say, okay, God, I'm tired of learning so that other, I can teach other people. I don't want to teach other people that bad. I could care less about teaching other people. And when he got me to that point, what he began to do is say, Heath, it wasn't about everybody else. It was about me and you. And when I began to understand that Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. Nothing else. Jesus is enough. It changed my worship. It changed it all. So then I could read people like John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he was in prison. And after coming out of prison where he had wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, he writes this about prison. I bless you, prison, for being in my life. And I look back through those storms now, and I can say thank you for the storm. Thank you for each storm, because in that storm, God, I've seen you like I've never seen you. And you're building my faith and you're growing my faith. So God, I thank you.